Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Reading today is from Haggai 1, the whole chapter. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth, whoops, whoopsie noses, its crops, are crawled for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, And the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and all the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work to they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the twenty fourth day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Julia. Good afternoon everyone. Great to see you. My name's Nick. You might remember me from the video that was up (laughs) earlier. Just one seed at a time. Uh, What a line. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I didn't write it. Um, But I stand by it. Just to speak to that, you might be asking, why should we be concerned with an all-in campaign to build a building all the way over in Mount Barker? How does that have anything to do with us? Good question. This campaign is not a Mount Barker campaign. It's a Hills Baptist campaign. We're one church uh, with multiple locations. And for a long time, um, uh, originally it was Little Hampton was a church plant sent out from Allgate. uh, And then it moved to Verdun as they 
grew and then amalgamated with Mount Barker. And we've got land in Mount Barker and they're going to be moving there, building um, a, a building for them to meet. But not just a place for the church to meet so that we can have a really nice house for ourselves, but a place that can be a community center, a place can, that can be uh, a place of ministry and healing and mission in the Mount Barker um, space in the Newnham uh, area. And so it's a great opportunity for us as a whole church to get behind something bigger than ourselves, something more than just Allgate, rather than bil- building our own stuff, uh, investing in the kingdom. And it's, not all, it's also not just about Mount Barker. We have our own um, property upgrades here at Allgate. Uh, there's a plan to build a veranda out here just to increase our capacity for hospitality and uh, inviting people in and making this a space where everyone can be welcome, everyone can be valued and, uh, and blessed. So it's, it's not just about us. It's about God's kingdom. We're calling... Um, calling people to be all in. And yeah, part of that is asking for money, but that's only part of it. And I should add, um, we you may or may not have noticed, we've actually talked a lot less about money over the last six months or the last year, really. Because um, like Luke and I made a conscious decision. We'll stop doing the weekly money talk. You might miss it. I don't know if you do. If you miss it, you know, I can give you a personal one. Um, <laughs> um, or Luke can. But we thought we'd stop doing that and we'll just disciple people and we'll just um, pray about it. And we started doing the um, generosity prayer where we'd pray as a church, we would grow in generosity. You may remember uh, us doing that. But actually what we've seen, and we really want to commend and encourage you guys, is that we've seen the, the giving and like the income from this congregation is above budget. Like we expected a certain amount and we've exceeded that. So God's been really faithful. God's been really generous. And particularly uh, this community, predominantly young adults, where everyone said, young adults don't have any money. <laughs> young adults don't think more than themselves. Uh, that's not true. So we really want to encourage you and, um, uh, yeah, encourage you to consider um, what seed you might bring in a few weeks' time. Um and we'll talk a little bit more about this. We're starting this series in Haggai. Haggai is a prophet from the Old Testament. Um, he's pretty tricky to find. Uh, after Zephaniah, if that helps, page 667 in my Bible, which probably doesn't help you at all. But before we get into it, I want to tell you uh, an experience I had this morning and, and, and a bit of a story. And it I've been meaning to mow my lawn, and I really wanted to mow my lawn before today so that I could, I could in good conscience tell you this story, but I didn't get around to it, which kind of it reinforces the point I want to make. <laughs> um, part of growing up, part of um, uh, you know, living in a house is one of, one of the great experiences of being an adult is walking out into your back lawn uh, and looking over your yard and thinking... I need to mow the lawn. <laughs> the grass is growing a bit, and um, uh, I need to mow the lawn. But it's really—it's a really hot day today. It's far too hot to do any mowing. I'll be much too uncomfortable. So it's—it's it's just not the time today. We'll wait. We'll wait a week till next weekend. The following weekend comes, and uh, and you look out, and oh gosh, the lawn needs a mow. 
but I am so busy. I've got a sermon to write tomorrow. I've got assignment due. I've got work to do or whatever else is going on. I, I just don't have the time. It's not the right time. We can do it next week. And the following week comes along. You go out. It's raining. That will be far too inconvenient. The following week comes, and you're far too tired. The kids have been up all night, and so you're too tired to do it that week. The following week comes, and the lawnmower doesn't work because it hasn't operated for so long. And the following week comes, and then, and then um, this hasn't actually happened, but it very much could with my dad, uh, who was there this morning when I shared this story. Uh, one time, um, my dad comes along and walks out the backyard with me, and he says, Nick, your lawn needs a mow. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, Dad. <laughs> well, I haven't got to it. Oh, I haven't had time. There's been this, there's that, there's that. It's like, Nick, there's always a million reasons not to do something. What is the one? Find the one reason that'll make you do it. It's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. It's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. And so hopefully by next week, I, you know, in full confidence, I can say I've mowed my lawn. But we're talking about going all in, all in for Jesus. It's not about a building campaign. It's not about money. It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about following Jesus. Because when we realize Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the world, that he gave his life so that we could be forgiven, that we could be saved. He calls us to follow him. And he calls us, not just our hands, our feet, our minds, our hearts, but all of us, our entire being to follow him. He calls us to be all in as disciples, as learners and followers of Jesus. But there's always something holding us back. There's always excuses that we're, we're very good at coming up with that just keep us like limited and restricted in our in following Jesus that keep us from going all in that that hold us back or we hold things back from Jesus and often it, it, it's the kind of thinking it's just not the right time I, I, I want to go all in, all in I want to be passionate about Jesus I want to do radical things for Jesus but after I finish school because school is pretty important I want to do well in year 12, so let's study well. I'll do well in school, and then after that, you get to uni. And uni's pretty full on, plus there's, there's a lot of fun things to do. So after uni, once I get a nice, stable job, um, then I'll go all in. And once you start working, then like, gosh, that's, it's, it's exhausting once you hit the workforce. So once things settle a bit. And then, you know, you got your eyes on a girl or a guy or whatever, and you're like, well, maybe once, once um, uh, we start dating or maybe once we're, we're married, then I'll go in. We'll be able to go in together. And then you, you just want to travel, you want to do this. Like, oh, once we have kids, we'll go, we'll go all in once we have kids because then we'll do it as a family. We'll, you know, we'll disciple our kids. It'll be amazing. And then when you have kids, you realize how much time you had when you didn't have kids. And you think, when we're less tired... <laughs> When we're less tired, we'll go all in. And then, and then when we're retired, you know, when we're retired and we're no longer working, the kids are gone, then we can go all in. And then when we're with Jesus in, in eternity, then we can go all in, right? We keep making these excuses. It's, it's, never it's never the right time, but it's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. That's what Haggai 
is all about. That's the big message of this book, particularly chapter one. It's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. God's been listening in to the Israelite people. And they've been saying, it's just not the right time. God wanted them, called them to rebuild the temple. They're saying, it's just not the right time. Just not the right time. God is listening to them. And that's a, that's a scary thought as well, that God listens to our complaints, our grumbles, our excuses. And he says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. But he also says, I am with you. So what we'll do today, we'll explore this first chapter, a bit of context where we're going. Um, I've got four when questions to, to frame and give an outline. First, when was this? We'll explore the context of the book. When it's when it's just not the right time, then when God uncovers our misplaced priorities, and finally, when we get our priorities right. So let's look at that. When was this? Now, if you have your Bibles open, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and the governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, or Jehozadak, depending on translation, the high priest. So Haggai has a message from God to the governor and the high priest. It says, in the second year of King Darius, which is 520 BC, so a bit more context, that probably doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me, 520 BC, to understand why Haggai gives a date, we need to understand, like, where is this fitting in history? So a quick whirlwind tour of biblical history. Uh, God created the world. <laughs> Adam and Eve, uh, uh, the world uh, grew. They filled the earth. There was a flood. We're going to explore that later. The key thing is God created a nation, the nation of Israel, through the person of Abraham and all of his descendants. And uh, this nation got a king, King David particularly was, uh, was a great king. Uh, but then um, these kings got worse and worse and worse and worse. And as a nation, God had called them to be uh, a holy people set apart from him. They would be a people who'd be a blessing to other nations. They were to follow God and obey God, but they kept on putting God aside. And they kept on pushing God away and turning to their own ways, to their own priorities, going uh, to to worship other idols and doing what they wanted rather than what God wanted. So they kept on disobeying God. They kept on rejecting God till eventually the nation split. There was uh, the nation of Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And Isra uh, the north Israel was invaded by Assyria and destroyed. And then uh, Judah in the south with where Jerusalem was where they built the temple, and the temple was the place of God's presence. We'll talk a bit more about that later. They kept on disobeying God again and again and again, and so God eventually uh, got the Babylonians to come in and exile Judah. They, the Israelites kept on going their own way. They, they kept on pushing God away, and it got to the point that God said, all right, you keep pushing me away, we'll separate. We, you, you will no longer live in the land that I've set aside from you. The temple was destroyed. The place of God's presence was destroyed. And so Israel was separated and, and taken away from the promised land, from the presence of God. And they were exiled in Babylon. 
But there was a remnant that God preserved because he promised to the people of Israel that through them there would come a king who would reign eternally. Through them they would be a light to the whole world, to all the nations. And so he preserved this remnant, and this remnant returned to Jerusalem. You can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, when they returned to Jerusalem, the first task they were given was rebuild the temple. And so they 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 built the foundation, kind of like laid the concrete slab in a sense, not actually concrete slab, but you get the idea. They laid the foundation and then stopped and went and did their own stuff and built their own houses. And, and the temple remained in ruins for 15 to 20 years. And that's where Haggai comes in. This is the context of the book. In the second year of King Darius, it comes at a time when the temple's in ruin. And so there's this like question of why, why is the temple still in ruins? Why has no one rebuilt this temple? And, and it comes to the Israelites' response when it's just not the right time. God's been listening. God's been listening to the Israelites. He's not a distant God. He's been listening. And, he, and the first thing he says to the Israelites, he quotes them. Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The Israelites say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It's just not the right time. It's just not the right time. And there are really valid excuses, really valid reasons that Israel hasn't rebuilt the temple. Uh, Their own houses are in ruin as well. They've been exiled. They've been brought away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was decimated. So when they come back, there was nothing there. Everything was destroyed. So they had to go about the work of rebuilding even their own houses. And that's important, right? That's, That's important to do. There was also like the wall was down, and so they, they were vulnerable uh, politically. There was also a lot of political pressure from other nations around them that, um, that uh, yeah, there's the, the political tension and political pressure that particularly the Samaritans to the north didn't want Israel to rebuild the temple because that's the central, like, the central place of Israel. And so they kind of threatened, if you start rebuilding the temple, we'll go tell Persia on you and they'll come in and and get you. Um, you can read about that in Ezra chapter two and three. But there's political pressure and that like that's valid. The Israelites were nervous and fearful if they were to start rebuilding the temple that might go badly for them politically. And so there's, there's reasonable excuses, but God hears this, and he says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Because it is a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses. And you, you, like they've, got, they've got no time for the temple, but they do have time to build their own houses and invest in their own prosperity and their own um, places. Later on in verse 9, Uh, God says, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with their own house. All these excuses really just demonstrate misplaced priorities. Now, before we go there, we've got to establish, why is this such a big deal? Like, these are valid excuses. These These are reasonable excuses for why they haven't built the temple. Why is the temple such a big deal to God? because of what the temple was to the Israelite people. 
the temple was the place for God's presence. When King Solomon built the temple, after he built the temple, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8 and 9, it talks of the glory of God descending into the temple. It was physically the place of God's presence. It was physically the place where Israel could come and worship God. It was physically the place where Israel could come and meet with God. That was how God dwelt with his people, was through the temple. And while it's in ruins, there is no place for God to be present amongst the people. It was not just God's presence. It was also the place for dealing with sin. Um, I've been reading through uh, Leviticus recently, which is a riveting book. All right, if you... I want, I want to give motivation to read it. But you read Leviticus, you will see how serious God is about sin and how serious God is about the holiness of his people, that his people would be pure and clean and set apart for him. And, and the means by which uh, the people of Israel are cleansed and set apart and holy is through a sacrificial system, that sacrifice is required for the forgiveness of sins. And that was done through the temple, at the temple, at the tabernacle and then the temple when the temple was built. So the whole time that the temple is not built, the Israelites are living in sin. They're living in this uncleanliness. And that's not okay to God. That's a serious issue. They're, they're letting all this sin and, and this, all this stuff fester and go unforgiven. And undealt with. The temple was also the place of mission. It was the means by which God's mission in the Old Testament uh, went out to the world. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the means of God's mission was like the, Israel to be a light to the other nations, that the other nations would come to Israel, to the temple, to meet God. They couldn't go all the way into the holies of holies, but there was the the courtyard of the Gentiles, the courtyard of the other nations. It was the means by which God's mission was done in the Old Testament. And so, but while it's in ruin, there is no way to live out on God's mission. So it's a big deal. About 16 to 20 years, the Israelites had no place for God's presence. Sin was rife within the community with no place to deal with it and no effort towards their core purpose of being a light to other nations. This was not a small issue. It was a big deal. And it should have been Israel's top priority. But instead, they put themselves and their own houses first. And so God uncovers their misplaced priorities. And he gives a command, and this, this big command, the big imperative of this, this chapter comes in verse 5 and verse 7. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to how you are living. The, the root word is the same word for heart. It's kind of like do a heart check on how you are living. And God says uh, from verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
Like Israel are building their own houses. They're investing in their own property and their own prosperity. But what they're finding is poverty. I wonder if you can relate to that, to that last line. You earn wages, but as soon as you earn it, you, you kind of like take your eyes away for a second. You look back and then it's all gone. <laughs> it's been spent here, there, and everywhere. And there's this, this sense that God, the Israelites are sowing but harvesting little. They're putting their f- themselves first and cheating God. And they're really cheating themselves because they're cutting themselves off from the God who provides rain, the God who makes the wheat grow. His house is in ruin. So how could Israel expect the blessing of God when they're pushing away his presence? God uncovers the Israelite complacency. They said it wasn't time. God says, that's not good enough. Consider your ways. There's no time for the temple, but you've built your own houses with paneled walls, with extravagance and, and luxury. There's no space but for God's presence, but you've sorted out your own property. There's no way to confess sin, but you've built up your treasure houses. There's no means for God's mission to be a light to the Gentiles, but you've adorned your own houses and they're shining bright. Under all these excuses lies misplaced priorities. Do, that, do the Israelites not realize how important the temple is? How central that is to them as the people of God? Do they not trust that if they put God first, then God would take care of their fears and their needs? There's a call for us as readers hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, Consider our ways. What are our priorities? Who comes first in my life? What am I afraid of? What do I desire? And are those things crowding out God? Jesus said in Matthew 6, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or those who aren't, Jews, those who aren't followers of God, the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The big imperative of this passage, the big command is give careful thought to your ways. What are we seeking? What are we chasing? Who are we going after? Becoming self-aware, which is a very difficult thing to do in this age of distraction and screens and content. But that's the call. Become self-aware. Give careful thought to your ways. That's the call to the Israelites, to give careful thought to their ways. And, and God calls them to go up into the mountains, grab some timber, bring it back down, and build this temple. And the Israelites, they get their priorities right. They listen to God, and they obey. They, and that brings us to this next part from 12 through to 15, when we get our priorities right. 
uh, from verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of God. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So when they heard this and when they heard the challenge of God, when they considered their ways, they got their priorities right. They obeyed God. They put God back in his place as first and central. And rather than giving God the leftovers, they went about and obeyed him and did what's most important first. It's a bit like sometimes... Uh, Emily and I, my wife and I, we go out to dinner, probably not as often as we'd like to, but go out, have a date, and, you know, money's a bit tight, so why don't we just buy one meal that we can share? That's a, that's a great money-saving, fun date night to thing to do. And the way we'll do this uh, is I'll eat as much as I need until I'm satisfied, and then Emily can have the leftovers. That is... The way to do it. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. If anyone, anyone dating, absolutely don't do that. Because is Emily satisfied? Is Emily happy? No. I hear. I should hear louder. No. <laughs> Am I happy? I might be satisfied, but I don't have a happy wife. <laughs> and I don't have a happy life. It doesn't work. And yet so often that's kind of how we treat God and God's kingdom is we give God the leftovers. We spend our money, our time, our energy, our emotional capital, our social capital on ourselves and and, and fulfill ourselves first. And then whatever's left over, we use to serve other people. We use to serve God. But there's a call here about not fitting more of God into our lives but making God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords central to our lives. And it speaks of the Israelites fearing God. The fear of the Lord, fear of God in the Old Testament and New Testament is the idea of understanding our place in God's world rather than God's place in our world. It's not about fitting God into our lives and 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 following him where it's convenient and comfortable for us, but actually thinking, how do we fit in God's world? How do we fit in God's mission? How do we fit in God's plan and God's will? And the next thing that that the Israelites hear, the amazing expression of God's grace and encouragement in verse 13. Then Haggai said to to the people, the message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. Now, this gets a bit confusing because, hang on, aren't they present in the temple? Uh, Isn't God only present in the temple? And haven't the Israelites been kind of still pushing God away by prioritizing their own houses, their own prosperity, their own stuff above God? They've been pushing God away. They've been living in sin. They haven't been cleaning, uh, cleansing themselves and and doing sacrifices for the sin. They've been rebellious, lazy, excuse-making. How could God say, I am with you? Because God is a God of grace, of love. And His presence with His people is not dependent on His people's performance, but on God's grace and love for them. 
the Israelites, after that commendation and the, the encouragement, God is with them. They're stirred up in, the, in their own spirits. Not just the governor, the high priest, but the whole remnant of the people. They're stirred up and they get to work. They start building the temple. They get their priorities right. Now, they were tasked with building the temple, the place where sin is forgiven, the means of God's mission, the house for God's presence. And, and they, they did. They rebuilt the temple. But that wasn't the place of God's presence for the rest of time because that temple ended up being destroyed as well. And, and in the first temple that was built, God's glory descended into that temple. And it was this big, amazing event. And there was this sense later on in Haggai and in other parts of the, of the prophetic books that they're lamenting that the glory of the Lord hasn't entered into this temple yet. And there's this question of when will the glory of the Lord descend into this temple? When will the presence of God come down into the temple again? It never actually happens in the Old Testament until in Luke chapter 2 when there's a prophet Simeon who's, who's waiting for the, the consolation of Israel, waiting for this event, waiting for the, the comfort, the peace of Israel to, be, uh, to come, to be perfected. He, he, he's sent by the Spirit into the temple, and there he meets Jesus, the baby Jesus who's being dedicated to the temple, that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple. And he says, here is the glory of Israel in the temple of God. When does the presence of God come into this temple? It's through the person of Jesus. Jesus refers to himself later on as the temple. The temple will be torn down and rebuilt again after three days. Jesus is the presence of God. God coming into the world to be physically present, to be with us. Jesus is the place where sin is forgiven. Jesus is the means of God's mission that God would pursue all nations to be with him, to know him, to be loved by him. And so the temple in the New Testament is not a building, but a person, the person of Jesus. And God's presence is not contained in bricks, but through God's Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't stay on earth. After he died, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God into his followers, into his disciples. So that in 1, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. The means of God's mission is you and me. The, the presence of God in the world is through you and through me, through those who follow Jesus. And so the purpose and priority of being a disciple is the presence of God, knowing Him, loving Him, being with Him, finding our rest and peace in God. The purpose and priority of being a disciple is dealing with sin, coming to Jesus, bringing our brokenness and our, all that stuff that we're, we've been putting off and um, indulging long enough bringing it to Jesus for forgiveness and actively working with the Holy Spirit to cut sin out 
of our lives. The purpose and priority of being a disciple is the mission of God. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And if we're not leaning into these things, these things aren't a priority for us now. Why not? Because it's not the right time for us. There's a million reasons not to do something. What's the one? What's the one? And it's here in the passage. God says, I am with you. I am with you. When Jesus gave that commission, go and make disciples, he said, I am with you to the very end of the age. And you might think, but I, I doubt, I, I, I don't really believe this stuff. I'm not quite sure if this is even true. And God says, I am with you. Come to me, question me, explore me, test me, read about me, and, and find out, is, is this true? Explore that. Is this good? Is this person of Jesus, is that what I want for me? You might think, but I, I'm hurt. I've been hurt by other people. I've been hurt by the church. I've, I've been hurt by God with, with the experience of the life, how I've suffered by what's happened to me. God says, I'm with you. There's nothing that you've experienced that God doesn't know and God doesn't care about. He's the great healer and he calls us to be with him. You might think, but I'm ashamed. I've said and done things that I don't want anyone to know about. I don't want God to know about. And there's no way God would ever accept a wretch like me. God says, I am with you. I'm with you. Come to me to be, to be healed, to be forgiven, to find healing and hope. The Israelites in Haggai were told to go up to the mountains and, and grab timber and bring it down to build the altar on which animals were sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus carried timber up a hill to build an altar on which he gave his life to be a sacrifice for sin so that all sin, once and for all, can be forgiven. There is nothing, no sin, nothing that you or I or any of us has done that can separate us from the love of God, can make that promise untrue, that God is with us. We are God's temple. We are God's temple. We've been called to bring our sin to God for forgiveness, invite His presence into our lives, and to go out and make disciples for him. What's holding us back? What is it about now that makes it not the right time? What are all the millions of different reasons that, that we look to and turn to to make excuses? Well, what's the one reason that we should go about going all in for Jesus. God says, I am with you. He's with us. He's with us. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, we, I just want to thank you so much for your word. as powerful and active. And this, this book from the Old Testament was written thousands of years ago. And yet it is so relevant and helpful today. Lord, we do confess that we so often get our priorities wrong. That we put ourselves first and put you second or third or fourth or not even give you a second thought. And Lord, because of that, we've made so many mistakes. We've, we've hurt so many people. And Lord, we, just, we want to bring all of that to you and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us to transform our priorities. This is a work we can't do in and of ourselves. We need you. We need your presence. We need your work in us to put you first to make you central, and to go out on your mission. And Lord, we just pray you would do that work in us. Do it as for us as a church, that we would put you first and make your priorities our priorities, particularly when it comes to building and when it comes to, as a church, where we invest our money and things like that. Lord, we pray that you would give the leadership of this church wisdom, humility, and obedience in prioritizing what you prioritize. And Lord, we pray the same for us as individuals. Whatever situation we find ourselves, whatever excuses or, or, or reasons that we're wrestling with, and Lord, those are valid things. I don't want to diminish that. But Lord, you are so much greater than all those other things. So we, we, we entrust ourselves to you, Lord. We want to seek your kingdom first, trusting that all these other things will, will come in line. And even, even if things go horribly wrong and, and whatever it is out there that we're afraid of, even if it happens, Lord, we know you hold us in your hands. You have shown us amazing grace and you love us beyond what we could ever imagine. We thank you and you pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.